The shutdown of the US government was averted at the last minute over the weekend, and US inflation figures were reasonably benign, ahead of key non-farm payrolls data later this week. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our deep dive interview, we find out why countries in the Pacific are developing an infrastructure shortfall of over $1.5 billion. Often infrastructure investment has had to make room for core services such as health, education, and law and order. So new investment has not been sufficient to meet demand. And the seemingly increasingly frequent need to rebuild and repair infrastructure after cyclones, floods, tsunamis, and volcanic eruptions means specific governments are constantly playing catch up. But first in five and five with ANZ, Number one, there's good news over the weekend for US economic growth and inflation. The Congress passed a bill at the last minute to avoid a government shutdown for 45 days at least. And in inflation data out on Friday night, the inflation measure for US personal consumption expenditure, which remember is the Fed's favourite, it rose just 0.1% in August. It was about half the 0.2% consensus forecast from economists. That helped keep the US two-year Treasury yield stable at 5.05% and the 10-year unchanged at 4.57%. On stock markets, the S&P 500 closed down 0.2%, but the Nasdaq, it was up 0.1%. That meant the US dollar wasn't quite so strong against the Aussie. It's opening around 64.3 US cents this morning. And the Kiwi dollar, which is a bit more solid, that's just below 60 US cents. Number two, the big data points to watch on global markets this week are around US non-farm payrolls on Friday. Markets are expecting jobs growth of about 187,000 in September, down from 170,000 in August. Here's ANZ senior strategist David Croy. Now, look, this is obviously going to be pretty important for the Fed. Uh, The Fed sounded a pretty uh, hawkish tone in its meeting uh, last week, and markets are very much latched onto that kind of higher for longer mantra. Number three, David says markets are also watching the yen closely, given it's hovering just above that 150 mark, which is seen as a flashpoint for intervention by Japan's authorities. The pressure is on, with the Japanese 10-year yield closing up Two more basis points on Friday night at 0.75%. Any authority looking to intervene in markets um, is going to want to be pushing back against currency movements that are unique to their own uh, exchange rate as opposed to dollar moves, uh, unless, of course, you're the Fed. Uh, So, yeah, for me, it's not just about watching where dollar-yen goes, but also where the yen goes on those other uh, key crosses like euro-yen and sterling-yen. Number four, the Reserve Bank of Australia is due to make its next monthly cash rate decision tomorrow. ANZ's Head of Australian Economics, Adam Boyton, sees a hawkish pause. He's looking ahead to fresh inflation data on October 25th and more labour market indicators to see if the RBA is tipped over the edge to a hike in November. If we were to, for whatever reason, get a surprise and large decline in the unemployment rate, that would certainly increase the risk uh, that the bank would come back to the the table, so to speak, and increase interest rates. But for now, our view remains uh, no more interest rate increases, a long extended pause here at 4.1 with a rate cut uh, at the very end of next year. 
Number five, growth in private sector credit in Australia accelerated slightly to 0.4% in August, but it's still weak on an annualised basis at 5.1%. It was running at almost 9% a year ago. Here's ANZ Senior Economist for Australia, Adelaide Timbrell. Housing credit was stable because even though the average person has less borrowing capacities and there's fewer listings on the market, there's also higher home prices. For personal credit, people without mortgages are probably the driver of this really strong result of 0.5% month on month. Uh, and, you know, we're hoping that that's about discretionary spending, but it is likely that it could be about, you know, getting by. And then for business credit, we saw a big jump of 0.6% month on month after 0.2% last. And what that tells us is that there's still some capital expenditure appetite out there, which is also reflected in the capital expenditure expectations data. ANZ's Adelaide Timbrell there. Now it's time for our bonus deep dive interview into what's happening with infrastructure in the Pacific. My colleague, Catherine Dyer, asked ANZ's Pacific economist, Kishti Sen, about the potential role of public-private partnerships in addressing the Pacific's large and growing infrastructure deficit. Uh, well, historically in the Pacific, the provision of economic infrastructure has largely rested with the public sector. Pacific governments with limited resources and competing priorities have not been able to keep up with infrastructure demand. Often infrastructure investment has had to make room for core services such as health, education and law and order. So new investment has not been sufficient to meet demand and the seemingly increasingly frequent need to rebuild and repair infrastructure after cyclones, floods, tsunamis and volcanic eruptions means Pacific governments are constantly playing catch up. The Pacific region does carry a disproportionate burden when it comes to dealing with the climate change impacts. Now, rising sea levels indeed poses an existential threat to some nations, and having to constantly repair infrastructure after climate events such as cyclones and flash flood indeed places great strain on scarce uh, public resources. So that said, it is all worth remembering that the Pacific through its forests and vast oceans provides a carbon sink for the rest of the world. Now, with the current emphasis on sustainability, you could leverage off its, uh, uh, the Pacific could leverage off its carbon sink status and access cheap financing through green funds and philanthropic uh, capital. Uh, I believe by amplifying its carbon sink position, the Pacific could attract a bit more of top tier ESG investment capital towards its public uh, infrastructure investment as well. Great. So you suggest there's a substantial opportunity for public-private partnerships or PPPs to fill some of this gap as well. Can you explain to me what that means? So uh, historically, governments have done most of the work with the uh, private sector playing a limited role. However, the thinking around that traditional financing model is changing. Uh, there is a renewed focus to get the private sector more involved in the development of some of Pacific's public infrastructure needs, the need to decarbonize the grid uh, through use of cleaner fuels, 
and the desire to build climate resilient infrastructure is fast-tracking this paradigm shift. So governments see several advantages in enhancing private sector participation. Uh, firstly, it frees up public sector funding from a wider range of areas so that governments can focus on a narrower range of economic and social infrastructure, predominantly things like your transport infrastructure, your roads, harbors, and jetties, water and waste management networks, and social infrastructure, mainly education. So the other uh, benefit of engaging the private sector is that it provides increased scope for governments to respond to infrastructure deficiency, such as sophisticated, reliable, and secure connectivity to the rest of the world. And lastly, perhaps most importantly, private sector expertise and technology can compress a high volume of work into a short span of time. So the advantages in getting the private sector more engaged are real and distinct, and the PPP financing model is one option the governments could pursue. ANZ's Kishti Sen there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Monday, October the 2nd. Catch you tomorrow with a preview of New Zealand's monetary policy decision, which is due on Wednesday. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or e